everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we have a truly delightful interview with Bonnie Garmis, who is basically who I want to be in the future, I've decided now. Same, I'll fight you for it. <laughs> okay, fine. But before we go there, let's do some highs and lows. Please, Olivia, tell me your high. My high is life. I just feel, ooh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I have been sleeping really well. Because of your new bedding? Because of your new room? New bedding in a room. We're sleeping on a, a, our California king-size bed again instead of two separate really bad mattresses, which we were doing for a while as we oh, renovated God. things. Yeah, it was a bit... Uh, Jake was on the air mattress, so, you know, I really got the better end of that deal. But... I just, I've been on a good schedule. I've been waking up early. I've been going to sleep early. I've been reading more. I feel, I feel excited to be alive. Oh, love that. <laughs> yeah. And we're also recording bright and early right now. We just interviewed Bonnie and it was really lovely and inspiring. And I just feel, despite the fact that I'm looking out the window, it's just gray clouds. Anyway, I feel like it is sunshine. I'm in a good mood. I'm so glad. Tell me your high. Um, my high is that on Sunday, I had this this little moment where my group text was talking about their Sunday scaries and how much they didn't want to work that week. And I was like, I'm really excited to write this week. I just had this great moment of the opposite of Sunday scaries where I was like, I can't wait to get going and write this week. And I just had this moment of gratitude that this is my job now and that I was just so excited about it, even though I'm kind of in, as I talked about last week, this weird spot where I don't know. It's not smooth sailing, but I'm still so excited to be doing it. So yeah. I don't know. I'm just feeling really grateful. I love that. Look at us. Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Okay. Well, tell me about your low. Oh, it's my week of needles. It is my week of needles. Not great. <laughs> uh, not great. <laughs> I had to get blood drawn on Tuesday. And then I had to get a crown replaced on uh, Wednesday. And um, then today, Thursday, I am getting Botox. So oh, wow. I am just that is a week of needles shot all over the place. Some of them electively, some of them not. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're feeling good regardless. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm feeling I'm still feeling very positive despite my week of needles. How Although, do you feel about needles? Like, are you obviously are not like a needle phobic person, but are you someone who dreads them or who like doesn't really think about it until the moment? Do you look at it? Do you look away? What's I can't your needle look. strategy. I can't look. You can't look. I okay. can't look. Me either. But I'm not going to pass out. It's not my favorite thing. Like, I'm not going to ask for it by name. Like, can I get some <laughs> needles today? That's encouraging. But all things considered, I'm I'm mostly fine with it. I would say I dislike like Novocaine, like in your mouth needles more than other types. Yeah, it's, it's not great. Yeah. All right. Well, you're almost through. I'm almost through. What about you? What's your low? I don't know. Anyone low. shooting you with needles? I, there have been no needles this week uh, and I hope there are none you. for the rest of the week because if there are, it will be a surprise, which a surprise needle is not really ever oh, yeah, good. That's the, that's the worst kind. Um, but I'm just, I'm in a good mood and everything feels good and life is good and no lows. Oh, the best. I did pick up something and there was a spider on it the other day. That Maybe that was my low. Okay. Well, before we find a low, let's just go with gratitude 
and take a quick ad break and then get into this interview. Let's. So I feel like whenever people ask me for podcast recommendations, my mind just like instantly becomes completely blank. So this is a great opportunity to highlight one that I think anyone who listens to this podcast would really enjoy. And this podcast is A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, hosted by Claire Mazur and Erica Cerullo. And it has so much in common with Bad on Paper. And I think it's a perfect podcast for listening to on a daily walk or while you get ready in the morning. Claire and Erica are longtime friends and business partners, and their podcast has sort of that same chatty, fun quality that I like to think our podcast has. It's so funny. Um, Morgan from NYC Book Girl texted me a few weeks back, and she was like, help, the only podcast that has stuck is yours. What's a podcast that's like yours? And I was like, listen to a thing or two, because I honestly think of Claire and Erica as the kind of the more adult, more polished version of us. So it's my go-to recommendation on air and off air. And one of my favorite episodes that I mentioned, but I want to plug it again, was this episode that they did a few years back when Claire was newly pregnant. And they discussed Claire's path to kind of figuring out that she wanted to have children and then Erica's choice to remain child-free and then how they wanted to navigate their friendship given the imminent change in configuration with Claire having a baby. And it was it was just a conversation that I hadn't seen happen before. And as as the friend that doesn't want to have children, I just I thought it was handled so well. It isn't a conversation I've had with my close friends in person. And I I loved the honest conversation about friendship and motherhood. And it stuck with me for years. The episode is called On Choosing and Not Choosing Motherhood. And we'll link it in the show notes or you can go back. It's in their archives from August of 2018. That's how long it stuck with me. And I feel like Claire and Erica also have such good taste, great style, great suggestions for shopping. And I find that I'm always like very interested in what they're wearing while recording. They share little clips of them recording the podcast on their Instagram, which you can also check out. Their Instagram is also great if you want to get little tidbits of their podcast and a sense of what it's like before you dive into a full episode. So be sure to follow them there as well. The episode that I mentioned earlier would be a great place to start if you're a new listener, but Don't worry, they also talk about pop culture and lighter subjects, too. On this week's episode, they discussed the recent Bravo scandal heard around the world, for example, that I still do not know about. The Scandival. The Scandival. (laughs) And they also had a great conversation about leftovers. So if you're looking to add a new podcast to your lineup, give a thing or two with Claire and Erica a listen. Again, that's a thing or two with Claire and Erica, and it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. We are so excited to have Bonnie Garmus with us today. She is a copywriter and creative director who has worked widely in the fields of technology, medicine, and education. She's an open water swimmer, a rower, and a mother of two pretty amazing daughters. Born in California and most recently from Seattle, she currently lives in London with her husband and her dog, 99. Welcome, Bonnie. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We're so excited to have you. This is such a great follow-up because we did your book, Lessons in Chemistry, for our book club last July. So I think a lot of our listeners have read the book, and now I think they'll be very excited to hear from you. Great. So for anyone who didn't join our book club and who somehow hasn't read Lessons in Chemistry yet, can you give us the spoiler-free pitch for the book 
for all those people. If there's like three of them listening who haven't read it yet somehow. Yeah. Who are these three people? I need their names <laughs> and numbers. We will hold them accountable. Don't worry. Now I'm mad. Um, so uh, Lessons in Chemistry is about a woman chemist named Elizabeth Zott. It's fictional, who is a chemist in the 50s and 60s when women really couldn't be. When she becomes pregnant and she's unwed, she's forced to leave her job and very reluctantly takes a job as a TV cooking show host. She does that because cooking is chemistry. But when she gets to the show, she has no intention of teaching housewives really how to cook. But really, she's she uses it as a pulpit to, to spread her message of female empowerment and capability. And she ends up changing a nation. Well, I want to talk all about the book, but before we get there, can we rewind a little bit? Because I've heard in other interviews you talking about, even though this is your first book to publish, this is not the first book that you wrote. Can you tell us a little bit about your path to publication? Yeah, um, my bigot, let's see, my failures. Yeah, I have a <laughs> lot of them. Um, I wrote my first book when I was five. That one didn't get published. It's only a page long. Um, and it starts once upon a time. It has an an incredibly embarrassing sentence following that. And then it says the end. So that one went nowhere. And then it I sounds good. Yeah, I know it had everything. I even illustrated it. Oh, wow. Wow. I wrote, I wrote another book when I was 12. Um, that was 200 pages, by the way. Oh my gosh. And I know. And, and I was really into this book and my librarian read it and put it in our school library. And for two and a half years, no one ever checked it out. I know because I checked every single day. Oh, yeah. And then I wrote another book. Um, I wrote, I started another novel and I never finished that one. And then I wrote another one um, that was only 700 pages or so. Only. And nobody Casual. would read it. <laughs> no one would read it. I got 98 rejections um, based on length. And I didn't realize that length was such a problem because I was thinking of, you know, Donna Tartt and the Goldfinch and Hillary Mantle. I mean, if they can do it, why not me? The why not is because you don't do that as a debut writer. No one wants to publish a debut writer until they're proven. You don't publish 700 pages. Anyway, I had to give that up. I got 98 rejections. And then I wrote Lessons in Chemistry. I think... Writing 700 pages of anything is far from a failure. That is impressive. I oh, agree. my gosh. I love you. <laughs> well, I love you, too. Was it, as, was it as simple as that? Did you just get right back out there and start lessons in chemistry? Or did you need to lick your wounds a little bit after 90 oh. rejections? Oh, no. I mean, I grieved. I For 10 days, I think I broke a few things. And oh, then God. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I kept going. I kept sending it out and thinking, you know, querying on and on and thinking someone's going to read it. Finally, number 98 did read 10,000 words. And she wrote me back and she said, you know what? You write real well, but big deal. I mean, literally, this is what her email said. And she said, you know, you cannot write a novel of this length as a debut author. You don't understand the economies of publishing. You don't understand that your book will be 25% fatter in Germany. You don't understand. You know, she went on and on. It was really vicious. But she did give me a really important piece of advice, which was to write, as she called it, a book of appropriate length. And so I did, but I never sent it to her. <laughs> <laughs> and now she really hates her life. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, yeah, her 
her email was harsh, but um, no, the rejection was just horrible. And I didn't write anything for nine months. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was ever a moment where you were like, well, I guess I'm just going to give up here. Like, did you always know that you were going to have this period of grieving and then you were going to start again? Or were you was there ever a moment where you're like, maybe this isn't for me? I'm a big giver upper. I don't think it's so bad to give up. I mean, you know, in a way, don't it's as long as you go back, it's it's okay to just go, I'm mad and I'm giving up. And then maybe later you find out, well, wait, I'm not going to give up, but I'm going to keep it really on the down low and not tell anyone because it's too embarrassing. <laughs> but but really, it's not over until you say it's over. Yeah. And I'm curious that. now at 47 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list as of wow. yesterday's list. Are we ever going to see that book? Are you like, oh, there is something there now that I'm not a debut? Or are you like, no, it's good that that was rejected. That's going to stay in the drawer. You want to know the truth? I love that book. It, it is so embarrassing. Nobody wants to read it. Actually, I did just have an agent in Hollywood ask me if he could read it. But instead, um, I'm not when I, I read it through again. And I know I would definitely because I'm a huge rewriter. I'm never satisfied with anything. Given the chance there are three sections of lessons in chemistry, I would rewrite today. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. I just I'm never I'm one of those writers. I think they're several who are just never completely certain that it's quite right. So the the other one, I, I'm only revisiting it a little bit. I borrowed some of its themes for a different book, but I'm letting it live in its full length glory in my drawer. <laughs> I mean, you should keep it because I think it's something to be proud of. And also the fact that you kept going is something to be proud of. I would tell myself that every day and remind myself that I was amazing if I was you. But <laughs> Well, that's that's really kind. But honestly, the only the thing that got me back into writing was a bad mood. So um, I you know, that's not exactly the most positive thing to say, but truly lessons in chemistry started because I was really having a bad day at work. Tell us really? more about that. Yeah. What was this? What was the seed kernel for for lessons in chemistry? I had been in a meeting and it was I was the only woman in the room. It was in technology in the Bay Area. And I was presenting concepts just like I always did for the last few decades. And after I presented all of my ideas for this fairly major campaign for a fairly major technology company, no one said anything. And I, I thought it was weird. But then, you know, I had a PowerPoint behind me and everything. And then um, and then about a few minutes later, the vice president who was in the room said, you know what I think we should do? These, here's my idea. And he basically read my PowerPoint slide. Rage. And I, Classic. I, I said, you know, I'm sitting right here. But I said, those are my ideas. And he just he just railroaded right over me. And everybody in the room's nodding like, wow, so-and-so. I'm very careful not to use his name. So-and-so. Um, what a great idea. And some of these people I'd worked with for a decade, I couldn't believe it. So I left the meeting pretty mad. And I started to wonder if women were ever, ever going to be in a meeting where they weren't talked over or, you know, whatever. And um, and so instead of working that day, I wrote the first chapter of Lessons in Chemistry. That's what it took. Oh, <laughs> the, I love wow. that. Did the chapter <laughs> stay broadly the same or did it change a lot over the process? The first chapter is almost exactly the same. And I wrote the last three sentences as well, just to have something to shoot for. 
Oh man, I like that. That rage oh. is the fuel of perfect, perfect words. <laughs> How long did it take you to write the first draft from that first chapter to when you got to the end? Uh, about five years. Oh, wow. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I was working full time and I'm working full time as a writer. And to be honest, the last thing a writer feels like doing if they're working full time as a writer is come home and, oh boy, write some more. <laughs> yes. I finally figured out that what I needed to do was write really early in the morning and write before work and then give up all my best efforts to what to my own work. And then whatever I was able to pump out for anyone else, great. And that's how I did it. But yeah, I think, you know, it's really interesting. I read somewhere that five years is really standard to write a, a novel. I rewrite a lot. So when I say a first draft, I've written, I don't know, 40, because I, I will tinker till the bitter end. <laughs> <laughs> I I think people have this misconception that a novel is like written in a year every time when you're right. It's definitely not always like that. Well, that's what publishers yeah. and editors want. I'm I'm currently my first book comes out in September and I'm I'm writing my second and I'm trying to figure out if I can do it in a year. And it's just given me so much respect for anyone who does a book a year. I'm like, how does this work? I am with you. I have no idea. And congratulations on your book oh, coming thank out. Thank you. For what's the title of it? It's called The Christmas Orphans Club. It's a oh, it's a cool. book about a group of four friends who all are alone on Christmas and spend the holidays together having these like fun oh. adventures. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, yeah, I have no idea how people write a book a year. And I do know a couple of them. And I <laughs> I remember my agent saying to me after a year had gone by, after my book had been signed, she said, well, it's been a year. And I said, and your point is. <laughs> and? Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I think for some people that's doable, but I'm not writing a mystery or a thriller. Not that, that that's what, that's the genre. But I, I'm trying to do something that's very complex. And it takes me a long time. Plus, it turns out, I'm doing a lot of promotion for lessons in chemistry. So it's quite hard to concentrate on two books at one time, I'm finding. Yeah. So I, I feel like the most common piece of writing advice is to write what you know. And this book has some very strong through plots dealing with, with chemistry, with cooking, with rowing, or any of those things that you knew. Okay. So I think that you hear that advice, write what you know all the time. I think it's the, the worst advice you can give a writer. <laughs> we have imaginations for a reason. But um, as a copywriter, you never write what you know. And so for me, it was like another day at the office, except I had to research chemistry because I'm not a chemist. I had to research old chemistry, which made it really hard. I hate to cook. So I also had to research cooking. So rowing, I'm a rower. So I could write about that without any research. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but honestly, rowing's in there for a couple of reasons. But no, I don't think you should only write what you know. That's why you have an imagination. So what did your research look like on the unknowns? Well, it was pretty... Um, you know, I was, I thought, well, I can learn 50s chemistry. I'll just get a textbook off of eBay. Well, several house fires later, <laughs> I realized, you know, honestly, it's just, I did the experiments and stuff. I, well, you did the experiments. That's commitment. Yeah. Well, we're renters. So <laughs> the amount of blazing fires in our flat, um, 
I, I would probably reconsider some of the things that I'd done. And I always tried to do, well, I did everything when my husband was traveling because of the fumes. <laughs> you must be your landlord's favorites. Oh, my God. I kept thinking, thank God my landlord lives in Singapore. But anyway, you know, my neighbors were on high alert, I think. Um, there's a section of the book where Elizabeth Zott talks about fire extinguishers. That's for a real reason. I, I really think you need to have a couple. Anyway, um, no, so I did the research and it was really hard. I couldn't Google old chemistry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was a terrible thing to find out. And so I had to kind of teach myself the basics using an old textbook. And then I am not a great cook. I don't like to cook. For me, it's a chore. And so I also had to research, you know, how people make food. Um, I mean, I make it. I'm just not, as someone once said, I'm a functional cook. You know, I can make dinner. It's just that you would never post what I make on Instagram. It's just, it's fine. It's just not great. So those are the two things. And I don't watch cooking shows. And I didn't watch any in order to write the show because I, I wanted to create something in my own head. So yeah, that part was, um, no, the chemistry was hard. The cooking, not so much. The rowing, that's, I knew that one. <laughs> well, on the subject of cooking, your agent Felicity Blunt's husband, Stanley Tucci, is a very accomplished home cook. Have you ever had the chance to eat his cooking? It's so funny you should say that. I was just at their house on Saturday night. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so starstruck. Uh, yeah, well, so was I. And uh, <laughs> and I can just tell you, um, he, you know, he said it's just a very simple dish. Well, this is the sort of simple dish that I could never, ever uh, make come about. It was pasta with uh, garlic, potato, green bean. It was so beautiful and smelled so good. And it was, it was delicious. And then a nice green salad. I mean, the whole thing was just great. Plus, I got one of his famous cocktails. Oh, oh. <laughs> what living the dream. What a I know. No, it was a really fun night. We had a lot of fun. Um, were there any historical figures that you looked at for inspiration when it came to Elizabeth Zott? You know what? I'm embarrassed to say no. I was writing a um I was writing my own role model at that moment when I started Elizabeth Zott. I really wanted someone to look up to and tell me what to do at work and tell me how to behave uh, <laughs> and how to get through to people. And and so I was writing her, but, you know, um, it was really clear to me, and I've certainly done, I've worked a lot in the sciences, well, really in technology and a little bit in the sciences. And wherever I went, it was all men. And it was really clear to me, I knew all about Rosalind Franklin, uh, what happened to her. And I knew a lot about other women scientists but you just got to question why the only woman scientist anyone ever can come up with is Madame Curie. Um, and that's because you realize just how far out of the game we've been for such a long time. We're not incapable. We're just as capable as men. So the idea that women have not been included in these conversations for a billion years is an ongoing problem. It's gotten better. It's not there yet. <laughs> Definitely. Well, to change the subject a little bit, I would like to talk about wh who was probably my favorite character, which is 630, the dog. Same. <laughs> and I need to know how how you developed this dog character, because he has he has a voice. He has a point of view in the book, which is something I haven't really seen done in a non-cheesy way before. 
Well, thank you. I, um, we know when he first appeared on the page and he started thinking, I, I was a little shocked myself. I know that sounds ridiculous because I'm writing him, but I didn't know he was going to have a voice. And then his voice got stronger and stronger. And at first I was worried. I thought it seemed like magical realism. And then I realized he is based on our dog, um, Friday, who died a while back. But um, dogs think. Of course they think. And they respond to you when they're thinking, you know, they, they wag or they let you know all these things. They're using their brain. They have opinions. You see that all the time in animals. Um, and so the more I thought about it, the more I thought it's not magical realism. It's reality. Of course, all these animals are thinking. It's just that we don't bother to try to learn what they're thinking. We expect them to learn our language, but we never bother to learn theirs. So the more I thought about it, the more I thought he's in. <laughs> I think it's honestly one of the best parts of the book. It makes it so much more unique and charming. And I loved every second of his dialogue. So thank you. Well, Barnes and Noble has an extra 630 chapter in their book because they oh, have back matter. Really? It's funny that chapter got cut because they were afraid of length. But um, it's, it was one of my favorite chapters when he teaches himself how to be a parent by watching moms in the park. And he's very confused by their actions. But people will quote that chapter all the time on Instagram. And then other people will say, that is not in my book. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, well, hot tip. Good to know. When we did our book club, we we had a long conversation. I don't have a dog, but Olivia does. And about potentially how many words Olivia's dog Winnie knows. We don't think it's extensive. But I think it's about half a dozen that are mostly related to food. Yep. <laughs> if I had to guess or going outside, that's about it. But is, is your current dog very perceptive or it sounds like maybe 630 is, is based off of a, a past dog? Well, 630 is based off of a past dog who actually was so smart and knew so many words, which we did not teach her. She would study our mouths when we were talking and then let us know that she understood by going and getting things we were talking about. She also learned German, by the way, when we what? moved abroad. Yeah, she learned German. I think she learned it from the other dogs, but I'm serious. She had to pass the test all in German. She got 100%. <laughs> um, so really smart. In 99, too, I think 99 knows a lot of words, but you're right. A lot of them are food oriented. And that's how Lisbeth Zott starts teaching 630 with food oriented words. I love dogs. <laughs> Me too. She's I love the name dogs. Winnie. Oh. oh, thanks. She's a good girl. Um, so how has it felt to have this like unbelievable massive success after, you know, going through the 98 rejections and the subsequent rage <laughs> that you described? What has that been like? Well, it's been just an ongoing shock, to be perfectly honest. It it hasn't it hasn't really come to roost as reality yet. Um, it just seems sort of like I'm living this surreal life on the side, and everything else is completely the way it was before. So it's wonderful, but it's also really odd because as a writer, you toil by yourself forever. You're always alone. You're always writing alone. And when I was writing lessons in chemistry, I remember saying to my husband, he reminds me of this all the time. I turned to him and I said to him, and I was three quarters of the way through, I said, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this. It'll never get published. 
anyway, he likes to remind me of that all the time now. <laughs> but it is it is very strange for me. Um, it's not what I'm used to, <laughs> for sure. And has it affected how how you feel about your second book? Has it been, you know, stressful to have to live up to this? Well, I think it is a little bit stressful, to be honest, because I want to do something different in the second book. And I think a lot of people, you know, they kind of want you to do the same thing, but mm -hmm. different again. Um, and as a writer, I'm just not used to doing that. And I, I kind of always let the characters lead whatever I'm writing. So I really like what I'm writing right now. Um, I'm really enjoying the people in the book. But yeah, I have a little bit of fear in the back of my head. People go, oh, there's no 630. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll still be wonderful. <laughs> oh, thank you. Is there anything you can tell us about that next book? You know what? I would, but because I don't write from an outline, um, I don't know really how it goes. And I did talk about the book some months back on a podcast. And now I realize everything I said is not in there. <laughs> and these people are going to go, gosh, she's such a liar. You know, none of this is true. Um, so now I'm, I'm really cautious and I'm just not talking about it. Well, I think that's that okay. makes sense. Yeah. We respect that. <laughs> I've, I've also noticed that this book has had such huge international success. I was um, I was in Europe last summer. I was in France and in Spain and in London. And I in every bookstore, I saw that there was a translated edition well, in London in English. Why do you think this has had such big international appeal? You know, it is really strange. I have 40 international publishers. Wow. And wow. I know. I know. Um, it, it has been number it's it's been on the bestseller list in several countries for a long time in germany it's been on the bestseller list for a year um and i think it's because elizabeth zott is so universal most of the characters in the book are universal to all of us i was in dubai and i was talking with um a bunch of women who you might think are very conservative they were all wearing burkas um and they were really, we were talking about lessons in chemistry, and they were just hilarious because we were talking about women's rights. And they were like, you guys have nothing to complain about compared to us. <laughs> you know, they were, um, but it, everyone is just talking about the same things. We want the same things the world over. And we're all stymied by society and these rules that we all live by for really not a very good reason. Yeah, it is very universal. It's true. And Nothing has changed that much since the time period of the book. I think we've we've learned. We're also very excited to know that it's being adapted into a TV show starring Brie Larson, who I believe is also a producer. Have you gotten to be involved with this process at all with the show? Well, I'm not a writer. I'm not the writer on the show. Um, I adore the writer on the show, Lee Eisenberg. Um, but uh, I could not be involved. I really wanted to be involved, to be honest. Um, but my agents and editors very kindly pointed out that I would be busy doing other things. And I said, what, what other things? <laughs> You're like, oh, my God. Um, so so I couldn't do it. But it is already um, done. Oh, my gosh. And course, yeah, I can. Well, wow. there's they still have some uh, some edits and things to do. And it is an adaptation. So it's, it does veer from the book and people should just, you know, that's how it always is. And so I think people know, okay, it's not going to be the book and that's okay. And it is okay. I think Brie Larson is, she brought Elizabeth Zott to the table. 
I could not be happier with Brie Larson. She is amazing. I've never seen an actress be able to do, you know, humor and this gravitas and this anger and this sadness, just scene to scene to scene to scene. She was amazing. Oh, that's incredible. Did you, did you get to go to set at all? Yeah, I did. But once I got there, I tested positive for COVID, oh, even no. though I had no symptoms. So I had to, I was, uh, I was stuck in my hotel room the whole time and I couldn't leave. Oh no. <laughs> Gosh, that's painful. You know what? I know it's okay. It's okay. It was, it's just yet another one of the weird pieces of this whole puzzle. Um, uh, but they have been wonderful to me. And, you know, again, it's an adaptation. So people shouldn't expect it to be just like the book, they had to change things like 6.30. And so I think that some people might find that and like, oh, but I think the people I've worked with have been incredible. I'm so lucky. And Lewis Pullman is Calvin. He just, he's incredible. And Walter is incredible. And Phil is incredible. Some of these actors, they're just great. Oh, I can't wait. Have they announced a, a premiere date for it? I think it's October. They're not really sure. I mean, there are things that they've got to go back in and and switch around. So there's still some work to be done. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, that's all really I know. I mean, I'm on the outside enough that I don't really have anything to do with it. And that's really smart because as a writer, you should let let Hollywood do their stuff. You did the imagination stuff. They do the visualization stuff and just walk away and let them do their work because they have to it's an adaptation it's not the book i'm really looking forward to watching same bonnie this was such a delightful morning to have this conversation with you i can't wait for the adaptation i can't wait for whatever comes next with your second book can you tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to keep up with you on the internet yeah, they can visit me at bonniegarmus.com, my ill-attended website. But I, I mean, it, it's sometimes it's up to date. And uh, yeah, that's the best way. I'm also on Instagram, Bonnie Garmus author, and I'm on Twitter at Bonnie Garmus. And if you're one of the three people who have not yet read Lessons in Chemistry, you can take that up with Olivia. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk. We'll talk later. <laughs> All right, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. What's your obsession this week, Becca? Oh, my obsession is all content related to the Barbie movie. I feel like it has flooded the internet in a way that I should be annoyed by, and I am just genuinely delighted by. I have no idea what to expect with this movie still. I just, but the trailer was so funny and so funny. I, just I have so many trust questions. Ryan Gosling and his I choices. love Ryan Gosling and his rollerblades. So I funny. have so. I, I can't wait to find out about Alan. Why is Michael Sarah in this movie? Playing? So many people are in this movie. Who isn't in this movie? I might be in this movie. I'm not. I wish I was. <laughs> I don't mean to. I wish you were in it. Um, I saw a theory that the reason that there's no real indication of the plot and it's just like leaning on humor is because it's going to be much deeper and more serious than we're expecting. Like the plot of it. Well, it's got to it's got to be dark in some way. Like I, I just, can't wait. I don't think it's going to be straightforward Barbie content. Like the visuals of it are so on point. The clips are so funny. They I, are. I, I, I love Ryan Gosling as Ken. I, I am just delighted by the internet this week. I think I read that he said this was the best script he's ever read. Wow. I love Greta Gerwig, too, who, who wrote and is directing this movie. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited for it, too. What's your obsession? 
My obsession is fun, non-alcoholic beverages in general. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm trying to drink less, I guess, <laughs> mostly preparing myself for spring where I am motivated at nearly all times when it reaches above 60 degrees to drink white wine. I really like Olipop's root beer flavor. Oh. And it is has it like a fiber? soda? What is it? Yeah, it's like a quote unquote healthier soda. And so okay. it has like nine grams of fiber, I think. And it's pretty like low in sugar. It doesn't taste exactly like root beer, but I really like it every now and then. Yeah, it's just fun to, to have a little fun beverage at the end of the day. That's not going to give me a headache the next day. Oh, I'm interested in this. I When I was in Rehoboth, I was at this convenience store and they had cream soda, which I hadn't had in years, decades even. Yeah. And I bought a cream soda and I took one sip of it and I was like, this is disgusting. It's so sweet. Yeah. And I, I kind of have lost my taste for mass produced sodas they're too sweet so I wonder if I would like something like this because soda has like such a nostalgic quality and sometimes it is nice to just like pop a little treat bevy that isn't alcoholic oh yeah and I love a diet coke but it's this is something different I was influenced by a tiktok to try the dr pepper strawberries and cream flavor disgusting sounds gross haven't had it it's as horrible as you can imagine I took one sip and I was like and they only had like the full like 12 pack of the cans. Oh God. So now you have to like, pawn so it off on of people. They're Anyone horrible. who comes over, you're like, would you like a Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream? And there was only one left, which made me think of the, the demand is high. I've got to, I've got to buy it. It's disgusting. Ooh. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's- oh, you now shop in a suburban grocery store. Like you get all of those like limited edition food things that don't exist for me in New York City. I guess I do. Yeah. I can't wait to come up there and go ham in your seltzer aisle. Shout out to Hannaford's. Oh, I'm also really, I saw Oreos, Funfetti Oreos that are like do-it-yourself Oreos where the whole center tray is icing and the outside is cookies and you like make it yourself. Oh, wow. Look for those. Okay. I'll keep an eye out. Okay. Seems important. Yeah. Should we talk about books? Sure. What'd you read this week? I read Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monahan. Did you love it? Because I loved it. And it's really, it feels really important that this is in the Venn diagram. I did. I did really enjoy it. It was really, really cute. Um, so I would love to see like a movie version of this. It was very would, cute. I feel like Brad Pitt is the guy. I don't know that Ooh. Brad Pitt would want to be in this movie playing this thinly veiled version of himself. But like it, Brad Pitt has to be the guy. It, I think so. I I can also see Jeffrey Dean Morgan as the guy for some reason. That's a good choice. That's a good choice. I don't know who I see playing Nora. I don't know either. We'll think on this. Sorry, I interrupted you. Tell me about how you feel about this book, what this book is. I liked it. It was really cute. It kind of reminded me of our house, and we have a little, like, cottage in the back that I want to turn into something like the writing tea. She calls it the tea house, right? Mm Mm-hmm that she has in the book. So that was a fun little tidbit, but it was very cute. Yeah. I enjoyed it. You should definitely pre-order Annabelle Monaghan's next book, which comes out in either May or June. It's a second chance romance. And I, I thought it was so well done. It was very, very fun. Did it's you like one it of my more f- than Nora goes I did. off script? Oh, I did. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to download that for like a, if I ever end, end up at a beach this summer, it sounds very delightful. Yes. Yeah. It's called same time next summer. What have you been reading? 
I read this book called The Hopefuls by Jennifer Close, who is the author of one of my favorite books from last year, which was Marrying the Ketchups. And I was talking to my agent on the phone. In my second book, the male protagonist is an aspiring politician. And I was telling her that I I was kind of looking for references of characters to, to just kind of read for inspiration. And I, I was having trouble finding any that kind of matched who I think this guy is. And she said, read The Hopefuls by Jennifer Close. She said, it's, it's my favorite of her books. And it is the book that gets Texas the most right of any book I've ever read. And so I went into this book completely blind, not knowing anything about it. And I, I mean, I love Jennifer Close, but I thought it was so good. It was totally different than anything I've ever read. It's about a couple who moves to D.C. He has a job working in the Obama White House, and um, she does not like D.C. They're coming from New York. And um, they end up becoming couple friends with this couple who are from Texas, the husband of whom is also working in the Obama White House. And the story itself is uh, takes place over a few years, and it's basically about the friendship between these two couples and kind of like the ups and downs in it. And I don't want to say anything else. I think it's kind of a, a good book to go into not knowing a ton about. But I, if you don't mind politics and books, and I really like politics and books, um, I thought it was great. And I, I, I think maybe her husband, Jennifer Close's husband, might work in politics because it had a very insider view of like what it is to work at the White House. Yeah, I was going to ask if she has anything to do with politics because isn't marrying the ketchup also I don't think it's didn't you say it's like based around the Trump 2016 it, election? N- no, it just something? takes place in the in the months after Trump is elected and so everyone is kind of processing their feelings around it, but it's it nobody works in politics. Like it's just oh, okay. about they're like it takes place in the aftermath of Trump winning the election, the Cubs winning the World Series and the death of the grandfather of this family so everyone's kind of like processing their feelings about these things but nobody like has anything really to do with it okay okay so well that sounds good yeah so that's the hopefuls by jennifer close it's from a few years ago if you're a library reader and looking for backlist books um but i really enjoyed it i don't think the character is like my main character but still so that's what we have for you today Uh, definitely pick up our April book club pick, which is Before We Were Innocent by Ella Berman. It just came out April 4th. It's told in two timelines. In the first timeline, it's about a group of three best friends who take a high school graduation trip to Greece, and only two of them come back. And the two who live become the center of this, this very newsy, true crime narrative. And then in the second timeline, the the two women who live are reunited when one of their partners goes missing. The book is, I guess I would call it maybe suspense. It, it's not scary at all. It's definitely not a thriller. But it has a lot to say about true crime and kind of the toll of true crime from the, for the people involved. And it also has, the reason I think I liked it so much was it has a lot to say about female friendships and especially the female friendships we make when we're young and how those carry through the rest of our lives. I'm very excited to read this. I read the first chapter and really liked it. So I'm very excited to discuss it with you. Yay. I can't wait. Well, that's all. (laughs) You can find us on Facebook at Battle and Paper Podcast. If you want to discuss 
any of this interview with Bonnie Garmus or what you're reading, whatever, you can find us there. And you can also find us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.